Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20, it reads, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down, and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the same baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are in great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall be not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You may be seated. Dearly Father, we do humbly come before you this morning, and we praise you for the freedom that we get to have and the freedom that we celebrate this weekend, but not only this weekend, but every single day. We thank you for the veterans and all the service that they've done so that we might have the freedom to worship you with freedom. Father, we ask that as we read through your word and as we begin to examine it, that your Holy Spirit fill this room that my words would fall to the ground and your words would speak. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Ambitious service. So the very first thing I want to start off with is a quote. And the quote reads, My ambition far exceeds my talents. That was stated by George Chung, an international drug trafficker and smuggler. Great, great quote. Um, but he didn't do a good job of applying it with the application that he needed to. So I don't suggest anybody going out and, and dealing drugs or becoming a drug smuggler, but his quote holds water. My ambition far exceeds my talents. And so for my first illustration, I'm going to tell you guys all about my first trip to a Korean karaoke bar. My ambition far exceeds my talents. No, I'm only joking. Um, I'm not going to go there today. Um, You guys are like, okay, this sermon is already off the cuff. He's talking about a quote from a drug trafficker and smuggler and then his time in a Korean karaoke bar. Um, But in all seriousness, are you ambitious? Do you have ambitions? Is there something that you are striving for? And Can you say, my ambition far exceeds my talents? You see, here's the definition of ambitious. Ambitious, having or showing strong desire and determination. You see, ambition is unique to humans. It's something unique that we can claim that we have that no other thing in this earth can claim. We think about our animals Our animals, all they want to be and do is be well-fed versions of themselves. They want to be a dog that's just well-fed, and each and every single day they don't have an ambition to grow up and be a human. They just want to be a dog that's fed and happy. And I I absolutely love it because every single morning at 5 a.m., I know it's time to get up to take my dog out and to feed him because he comes by my bed, and he'll either give me like this nice little lick or he'll climb into the bed and put his head on my chest, and he's a 100-pound golden retriever, so when he lays on top of you, you feel the weight of the 100 pounds on top of you. So he's gently saying, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time for me to go out. It's time for me to eat. Then we have a cat. 
Now, I think a cat is the only animal that might have ambitions. <laughs> they want to take over the world. Because at 5 a.m., my dog may not get through to me. He might lick me a couple times and go back to bed. But all of a sudden, in the room, I'll hear like this noise of plastic getting chewed. And it will be like my phone charger. And then I'll wake up, and my phone charger will be in like two different pieces. Or underneath the bed, we have these, these slats. And the cat will just go underneath it and just pull. And it goes dun, 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 <laughs> repeatedly until I get out of the bed. I can yell. I can hit the, the headboard, whatever it may be. She will not stop until I feed her. You see, us, humans, ambition is unique to us. You see, in the church, ambition, your aspirations, your dreams, whatever it may be, you might have experienced it where they said, you know what, bring your aspirations, bring your dreams, and bring it to the feet of Jesus and leave it there. Because that doesn't matter. You know, you might have experienced that in a church, and you might have experienced something where they told you, you know what, your ambitions can be sinful, and your ambitions are sinful, because you should only be seeking what God wants of you, and that is correct. But I'm here to say that ambitions are not always sinful. You see, Jesus does not blindly confirm anybody's ambition, but at the same time, he does not openly condemn anybody's ambition. He wants to convert your ambition to look like something that is godly. You see, Jesus does not blindly confirm ambition, nor does he openly condemn your ambitions. Ambition is a good thing to have. Ambition is something that we should all have inside of us. It should be something that we should all be striving towards. It's something we need. We need goals. You see... Jesus isn't just going to say ambitions are okay. He's going to teach us and warn us about things that we should be paying attention to when it comes to our ambitions. And as we read through this text, we're going to be looking at three different warnings that Jesus gives about our ambitions. And then after we look at those three different warnings, Jesus is going to serve up to us three different solutions to make sure that we are good. And the very first... uh, thing that Jesus is going to point out to us about our ambitions is desire. Our desire when it comes to ambitions. You see, it's verse 20 and 22, through 22, and it reads, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? This is awesome, like absolutely awesome. You have Jesus with his disciples and the close loved ones, and all of a sudden you have the uh, you have the, the mother of two of the disciples coming to Jesus, and look at Jesus' response. He says, what do you wish? Now, this isn't awesome like Aladdin, that Jesus is a son, come and give her whatever she wants, but this is Jesus being concerned with the people that he loves. He's concerned. He's looking at the mother and saying, listen, what do you wish? Now, my question to you guys is, is what do you wish? What are your desires And how does your desires relate to your ambitions? You see, do you have an ambition or a desire to have a successful business? Or maybe it's that special someone to notice you. Or maybe it's to have a wart removed that is absolutely gross and freaks you out. I don't know what your desires are. I don't know what your ambitions are. And maybe it's the complete opposite where you want the wart removed before that special someone notices you. But what are your ambitions? What is your desire. You see, this mother saw an opportunity because this very beginning of this, this verse 20, look how it starts. It says, then the mother of Zebedee. So if there's a then in the beginning, we have to understand what just happened prior. And if we look back at two verses up, it says, behold, we are going to Jerusalem and and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day he will rise. So Jesus just announces his disciples, hey guys, we're going to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be killed, but then I'm going to rise again. And what is this mother's first thought? Oh, this is my opportunity. Let me go to Jesus, because he did say, and he did end, that he's going to rise again. And so that means that he's going to be, finally, he's going to be that political leader 
and king, and he's going to be taking over his kingdom. And guess what? At the throne, there's two chairs. There's the right and there's the left. And this is my opportunity to interject my two boys. Two chairs, two sons, and here we go. And so she interjects and he says, she says, oh, you got two spots on your right hand and on your left. You know what? I'm going to suggest my two boys. Why? Because this is what every good mother does. They interject and make sure that their sons have the absolute best. You see, what was she suggesting? She said, you know what? I want them to have closeness to the king. Not just closeness, but I want them to share in the prestige and the power of the king. I want my two boys. They're already, they're already two of three of the closer disciples to Jesus. So let's make sure that we get rid of Peter and scoot them in and let them get those two chairs. So I'm going to go and make sure that I have the first ask. Because why? My sons need power, they need privilege, and they need a promotion. That was her ask. And it wasn't just her ask. Now, we have no idea if this was just her speaking out of like a mother's love for her children and wanting the best, or maybe that her sons actually put her up to this. We have no idea, but either way it is, we know that the sons agreed to it because we see Jesus flip the tables. He doesn't speak back to the mother. He speaks directly to the two disciples. And Jesus says, do, you do not know what you ask. Now, that's a pretty serious thing. If you ask anything of Jesus, and Jesus looks back and he says, you have no idea what you're asking. I would be a little bit concerned, and I would begin evaluating, what did I ask that caused such a reaction? You see, this is going to be Jesus' warning about desire. Your idea, it's faulty. Your idea, it's misguided. Your idea is misinformed. You've missed the mark with your desire. Their desire was to be at the right and the left hand of the king. You see, do they even really know what they were asking for? Do I really know what I'm asking for when I think about my desires and my ambitions? Or am I just so locked in on my desire that the means to get there, I could care less about? Because I know what I want. I don't care how I'm going to get there, but I know what I want. So does your desire have the end result not only in mind in the forefront, but do you think through the means of getting there? And that's what Jesus is telling them. He's saying, listen, you, you just don't get to be on the right or the left hand. There's a means of getting there. And do you even know what you're asking? And he asks the question to them, and he answers a question with the question. And he says, are you able to drink the cup? Now, this is Jesus being all cryptic. The cup. You know, what is the cup? Who's got the cup? What's in the cup? What does this all mean? I mean, that, if I was a disciple, that's what that would be going through my mind right now. Like, how cryptic is this message? Are you able to drink from the cup? And t- what is the cup? That's ultimately the question. If he's answering this question with a question, he's like, are you able to drink of the cup? What is this cup that Jesus is speaking about? You see, the cup is a biblical expression for your destiny. The cup is your total allotment of life in this cup. You see, it's everything that God has given to you. Now, there's two different perspectives of this cup. It could either refer to glory. Think about it. My cup overruns. Everybody wants their cup to be overrunning with glory. And it could also mean suffering. Are you able to drink from the cup of suffering? You see... The way to glory is to go through suffering. The only way to get glory means that you're going to suffer. So either way you look at the cup, there's going to be some sort of suffering that happens. And are you prepared to face the suffering in order to get to your desire? That's what Jesus is really asking. He's saying, listen, you have a desire, you have an ambition, but are you willing to go through the process in order to get there? You see, because it's going to require persecution. It's going to require rejection. Are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to drink of this cup? And what is their response? And I absolutely love it. Because without blinking, their response to this question is, we are able. You know, this this is like the ultimate, like, yeah, we are able. You know, 
duh, of course, God. You know, we are able. Without even blinking, this is, to, to me, the only way I can actually really explain this is when you're getting ready to do something that is absolutely um, crazy, stupid, dangerous, you have to fill out what? A form. A release of liability form. And it's usually like, let's say you're going to go jump out of an airplane. Um, the form is like 20 pages long. Are you actually going to sit there and read through all of that? Because, I mean, I'd be terrified to actually sit there and read, oh, yeah, there's a 50% chance that your parachute will not open and that this will result in death. No, you don't sit there and read through every little tiny thing and then check off every, you just go through the, oh, I need to sign here, oh, initial here, initial here, oh, sign here. Think about it when you're in pain. When you got a migraine, because I tell you, when I get a migraine, nothing matters. If you tell me, oh, all you need to do is take this pill. Uh, I got a migraine, I'll take 10 of those pills. Just get rid of this migraine, I'll take 10 of those pills, but I don't ever read you know, what might happen? Oh, you might become drowsy. Oh, don't operate heavy machinery. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to go work a crane because I have a migraine. Whatever it may be, that you don't think through all these things. You just accept. You check the boxes, you initial, and you sign, and you just, you just, you don't know what you're signing up for. Oh, yeah, it might cause drowsiness. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, you might not wake up for three days. Um, whatever it may be, you just want to get to the end result. You just want that headache gone. You want that migraine out of the picture, and so you do it. You just want to jump out of an airplane because it's fun and exciting, and so you don't care what you're actually signing off on saying, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand that the parachute might not open, but you know they're professionals and they wouldn't have a business if everyone died, so I, I kind of trust them. So I'm just going to sign all the paperwork and I'm going to continue. We are able, Jesus. That's what they're doing. They're, they're, not, they're not reading the fine print. They're not going through the paperwork. They're just saying, yeah, I know we want to be at your right and your left hand, so I am able. I am going to say yes to it. I am going to seal it. I am going to prick my finger, squeeze some blood on it, and say, I am good to go. I am willing to do it. You see, without blinking, they make this comment. I love the way Matthew Henry describes this, and he says, they answered as if they were a blind man describing colors. A man blind from birth, describing colors. They have no idea exactly what it looks like, but they're just saying, yeah, we are able. We are able. You see, Jesus is going to give us the first warning. Be careful with your desire when it comes to your ambition. The word desire. Be careful with your desire when it comes to ambition. You see, they asked for the glory of wearing the crown but they did not ask for the grace to carry the cross. They asked for the glory of wearing the crown, but they did not ask for the grace to carry the cross. It's Proverbs chapter 6, verse 28. It says, Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? This is a riddle that's blown my mind whenever you watch in movies the guy's walking on hot coals just like nonchalantly. Yeah, my feet are roasting. At the end of the day, I don't know if anybody, like, I'm from the Northeast, so bonfires is something you do every weekend. And I'll never forget countless bonfires on the beach when you're walking, and I always wear flip-flops, and it's like the fall time, so you can get away with wearing flip-flops in the Northeast, and you're on the beach, so you have a big fire around. But I'll never forget, I mean, it's happened to me more times than I can count, when you're walking, and one of those embers just, like, shoots and it just like lands on your foot or lands on your flip-flop and then you step down on it and it sears your entire foot. Of course, if you're walking on coals, your foot's going to get seared. You're going to freak out. You're going to get burned. That's just something that's going to happen. So can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? The disciples had no idea what was going to happen to them. They said, yeah, I can walk on the hot coals, not thinking that their feet are going to be seared. They say, yeah, Jesus, we're in. We got this. But the truth of it is, is that they were not ready when they made that answer. They said, we are able, but they weren't able in that moment. Now, the beautiful thing is that they spoke, and they were ready, and they were ready to sign up, and they were ready to go despite the consequences. And we know that at that time, they're, that they're going to deny Jesus. And we know these different things about them, that they are not ready. But guess what? Because they had a desire and ambition they would be ready later down the road. You see, it's James who's going to be the first of the disciples to be martyred. 
And it's John who is going to go through all the sufferings that anybody could ever imagine. They tried to like deep fry him in oil and then they, they, they couldn't kill him. So they said, oh, let's just get rid of him and put him on this weird island called Patmos and we'll leave him there to die and suffer. And so it's, they, they knew that they were going to have to walk and carry out what it was going to be. They weren't prepared at that time, but when it actually came time, they were prepared because of their ambition and because of their desire to follow hard after Christ. You see, it's not just, it's not just your ambitions when it comes to your desire. The other thing that Jesus is going to show us that we need to pay attention to is our ambition and our attitude in that ambition. So number two is attitude. And if we look at these verses, verses 23 and 24, it reads, So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when they heard it, they were greatly displeased at the two brothers. You see, attitude. What does it say about the other ten disciples? They were greatly displeased. Well, what does this mean? It means that they were moved with indignation. They were greatly afflicted. They had a loss of temper. They were thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. Their attitude had changed. There was something going on in their attitude that was not good. They were angry. They were absolutely upset, and they were disgusted with these two brothers. And I have 2%, if this was a bet, I'd put 2% down that this is the case, that they're, that they're angry out of holiness. Oh, man, I wish they would have consulted us first, and I would have told them, like, hey, you really don't know what you're asking. So don't do it. Don't do it. I, I mean, let me teach you, and you guys are going to look like a bunch of fools to Jesus. Just don't do it. That, that to me, is probably not where they're at. I got 98% bake, you know, banking on that they're thinking to themselves, oh, I wish my mom, I wish I would have pushed my mom up there to do it. My mom could have done a better job, and I would have given the spot. You see, they wanted the position as well. It was only a couple chapters back that we see all the disciples walking together, and they're talking about who is going to be the greatest of them. And Jesus turns around and goes, hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? And it went silent. So every single one of the disciples wanted to be the best. They wanted to be at Jesus' right hand. So my guess is that their attitude had changed and their ambition and they had turned to greatly displeased. Why? Because of jealousy. Because of jealousy that the two brothers made their move before them. Because of jealousy that they were going to miss out. Doesn't that stink? The fear of missing out? Isn't that like a real thing? Uh, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Yeah, FOMO. It's a real thing. We all have this fear of missing out. They, they had this fear of missing out, and it changed their attitude. Whatso- it changed it greatly. You see, they weren't thinking, pfft. You know, they have no idea what they're asking. They're thinking of, I wish my mom would have got there first. But can't we all relate with that? What happens to your attitude when you don't get what you want? What happens to your attitude when things change last minute? So I absolutely love where my, my sons are in their lives. One's three, and the other one is one, and they're all now just like a full bunch of personality. And their personalities are completely different. And so my older one, Ben, when he gets mad, we had to teach him how to channel his anger because, you know, he would punch me or hit me, and it really did hurt, like, really bad. And I'm scared he's going to hit someone else or hit another kid, and then it's going to be a lawsuit. And next thing you know, we have no house to live in. Whatever it may be, I can go off the deep end here. But we had to, ch- we had to teach him how to channel. Hey, so I sit, we sit him down. We go, Ben, it's okay to be mad. Being mad is okay. It's going to happen. You're going to get mad, but you cannot hit people. You cannot kick. You cannot throw things across the room and break the TV. So we had to have all these talks. Imagine trying to have that talk after your TV is shattered. Um, But we had to have this talk. And so now every time he gets mad, it is... It's like hard not to laugh. You know, like when your kid's like really upset and you feel really upset for your kid, but at the same time, it's really funny. He goes like this. Daddy, I'm mad. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, it's like really, it's like really bad. Cause then, then, then if I don't like acknowledge the fact that he's like really mad and like, you know, he starts shaking and stuff, he'll go to the room and then you'll hear the door slam. And then you hear it like crack open a little bit. And he's like checking to see like, Hey, they, they recognize that I'm really mad. 
And it's like the cutest little thing. And then you give him his five minutes and you talk to him and he's back down to normal. And so he's like the, the reasonable one. So then my one-year-old, it's like a movie with this kid. I promise you not. This kid is, is, he's a riot. The second that he gets mad or you say no to him, the lip. Like it automatically curl. Like I thought that was always like a cartoon thing. No, it's a real thing, and this kid's got it. I mean, it is it is absolutely ridiculous. And he's he doesn't eat food. He only eats bananas. And so every time he like walks over to the banana, nah, nah, like you know, no, no, Easton. And then you see it, and then you see him hit the ground. Okay, but he hits the ground in a way that his head hasn't hit the ground yet. And I say yet because then he'll look at you while he's screaming, and then all of a sudden we have uh, terrazzo floors, which is like the hardest material possible in the world. And you'll see him go to the point where he looks back, and there's probably about a foot before his head's about to touch, and he's doing like you know like the six-inch ab lift things, and he's just like holding it. And then he waits for you to look, and then the second that you look, he just lets go, bam. <laughs> and he's got it down so that like. The noise that the sound makes of his head hitting the floor, it sounds like you like cringe and you, you, like, you think like his head just like broke open and it's like, but he's got it down where it only hurts him a little bit so that if you pick him up and hold him, he stops crying immediately. So he's got it down and I mean every single time, but I'm like, I think about it, like how angry they get, you know, I'm mad. And then you got the other one just like the lip curl and the head throw, I feel that way. As an adult, I feel that way. I mean, I, I channel my anger in different ways. I mean, imagine if I was at work and I looked at my boss, man, they'd probably like, it'd be bad. Or if I slammed my head on the ground, they would probably like say, hey, you know, you, know, you need to go see somebody. But I feel them. Like my attitude changes completely when I don't get what do I expect. If my ambition is for something and I'm not reaching my ambition, my attitude's going to change. Or if someone beats me, to the thing that I want at work, I get upset, I get angry. So I, I hear them. I hear the other 10 disciples. I'm there. I've been there. I'm there every single day when I don't get what I want. I just channel it differently. But just because I channel it differently, it doesn't mean I'm dealing with why I'm actually mad and upset. I don't deal with it. You see, it's the jealousy inside of me. And the warning that, that Jesus is giving the disciples, he says, listen, check your attitude. Because it's going to cause rivalry and it's going to cause strife and it's going to destroy the community that you're in. You see, it's contagious. Jesus called all the disciples to himself to talk to him about this. It doesn't say just that two of them were upset at two of them. It says that they were all upset. You have ten disciples. It, maybe it just started with one, in it, but guess what? Your attitude is contagious and it's going to spread. I can tell you, when I am upset and I make a stupid comment to my wife in my upsetness, She's not, hey, I love that you said that to me. And no, 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 it starts a conflict. You see, your attitude changes the situation that you're in. It changes the people that are around you. So this is something that Jesus is warning us. He says, listen, if you're ambitious, you have to pay attention to your attitude. It's not just your desire, but it's also your attitude. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you with all mouths. Do away with it. That's the suggestion here that Jesus is saying. He's saying, Get out. don't let it be known. Don't be known as that person. And if you're the person that can secretly hide all of your anger and then go and gossip later to whoever it may be, that's not the person you want to be either. You want to do away with all these things, all the bitterness that goes. Because there's only one way to do it. We're going to see Jesus. He tells us, but he's warning us. When it comes to our ambitions, he's saying, listen, warning number two, check your attitude. He's not just going to end with, you know, check your desire, check your attitude. But the third thing that he warns us of is position. Whenever you are ambitious, number three, pay attention to the position that you are desiring. That's verses 25 in the first part of um, 26. And it says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you. You see, position. Yet it shall not be so among you. You see, their desire for position and status showed that they did not yet know the nature of what Jesus wanted. 
They didn't respect the type of leadership that Jesus had, had wanted them to. They didn't respect the type of power that came with that leadership. You see, their desire for position showed up in a way that was not in line with what Jesus wanted. And to paint this picture of what this looks like is imagine your boss and a lazy boy kicked up, someone fanning him, and he's telling you what the mission is, and he's making you carry him to accomplish the mission while he sits there while another person fans him and another person brings him pina coladas. That's the type of leadership that Jesus is saying, listen, you, lo- you don't want to be the person that, that lords over people. If you are ambitious, ambition is good. But in your ambition, be careful of the position that you are taking. Do not lord over somebody, but lead them by your example. You see, maybe you have worked for someone like this. Maybe you have been that person at work. Maybe you were that person, you recognized it, and you changed. Whatever it may have been, there's one thing that I can say for certain is that the church does not operate the way the world does. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about just the body and Pastor Andrew and leading over um, all the different aspects of this church. I'm talking about the body. We don't operate, us as the body, us as you, do not operate the same way the world does. Because I've been in many different jobs where I was lorded over. That I was not led by example by my boss, but I was told, you will do this. And it might have been absolutely ridiculous. It might have been completely foolish. But my job was on the line if I did not do that. That's the position that Jesus does not want any of us to take. He says, listen, the church operates differently. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, and it says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Now, this word quiet life does not mean that you just shut your mouth and not say anything. The idea is that you make peace, that there's peace inside of you, that you're not causing all these, these angers and these frustrations and these arguments that come to mind your own business and to work with your own hands. They're commanding us to actually do some work ourselves, to actually serve, not just to tell people to do something for you, as we commanded you, that you may aspire to live a quiet life and mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you to. You see, it's position. In our ambition, it is very easy for us to take the position of lording over somebody to accomplish your goal, to accomplish your ambition. You know, it comes to my mind every single day when I'm at work and I'm thinking, you know what? I could have someone accomplish this task for me. And I, I can justify it. And I can say, that's hey, not really my job description, so let me go tell this person to do my work for me. And I've been on the other end where I'm doing other people's work for them, and then I watch them go up, and they do their presentation and check out all my statistics and this is, and I'm like sitting there, yeah, that's the exact, you didn't even change the font that I sent it to you in and you're taking credit for it. And it's frustrating. It's extremely frustrating, but what position are you taking? Are you taking a position where that you are actually going to work or are you forcing somebody to work? Because in the church, the position that you are to be tackling is a position of leadership through example. So those are the three different aspects of ambition that Christ is warning us about. He's warning us about our desire. He's warning us about our attitude. And he's warning us about our position. But it's not going to end here. Jesus is going to give us a solution to every single one of these things. And so let's go all the way back to point number one, and let's talk about desire. This is the solution to the warning of desire. Verse 26, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Your solution to the warning of desire is if you desire to be great, be a servant. That's Jesus' position that he's asking us to take. If you want to be great, become a servant. This word servant comes from the word diakonos which is where we get our word deacon from. 
the idea of this word is to thoroughly raise up dust by moving in a hurry. To thoroughly raise up dust by moving in a hurry. 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 Yeah. Hurry. <laughs> Let me drink some water because that's coming out really hard. Oh, man. We just finished the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show, and my company has a big presence there. And we don't hire another company to go set up and make our booth and do our booth. We do it all ourselves. And it's like a long, long two weeks. I mean, it was like two weeks of me not seeing my kids, and it was just like a brutal thing. But one of the things I learned is I work with the Spanish lady, and after we built the whole thing, all of our clothes and everything have to go up. I've never seen someone move with such a hurry in my entire life. It was do not stop in Maria's way. There's like this. Russ, go throw that up there. What are you doing? Why are you sitting around? Why are you taking a break? Why are you looking at your phone? You can't take it. What are you doing? I mean, this lady was like, they called her Hurricane Maria for a reason. And I, it was always like a joke, like leading up to the boat show. Like she's, but I didn't, I didn't like, truly, like, oh yeah, you know, how crazy can she get when it comes to these things? I have never seen anybody so crazy in my entire life, the way that she was moving. And if there was dirt on the floor, not that she would be vacuuming it, but she probably would be vacuuming it, but there would be dust everywhere. Because she was moving so rapidly from place to place, making sure every little thing was absolutely perfect. And that is what is meant here by diakonos. They're serving and they're going so crazy to make sure everybody's needs are taken care of that they're causing just like craziness. It's the guys that set up. I mean, I take for granted that I show up on church and everything's set up all nicely. But there's guys that are moving around in a hurry, making this all happen every single week. It's the ladies in the, in the child care and Soul's Kids. I, I volunteered for, they said, oh, yeah, we're short one person one week. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll step in. I walked into one of the rooms, and I was like, so, Christine, you're going to call another girl to come in here and, you know, help out? And, uh, and I just walked away. <laughs> that was it. I was like, oh, you know, this isn't, this isn't my forte. I'll find another way to serve. But... I have confidence every time I drop my kids off that they're going to be taken care of and they're not only going to be taken care of, that they're going to be loved. That's diakonos. They're serving someone else's needs. You think about this. It, the same word diakonos is, is pictured as a waiter. That's what the word means. It's someone who serves food and drink and attends to somebody's needs. Who's ever been to a restaurant and got absolutely terrible service? Right? It's like, I'm never coming to this restaurant again. Who's ever gone to a restaurant they got the best service they've ever experienced in their entire life? It blew your mind. Um, this past week, um, my wife and I did date night. And we went out to an Italian restaurant because we haven't had Italian since we, I think, I don't think we've had Italian since we moved down from the Northeast. And I was in shock. I looked at my wife and I go, this guy's probably been waiting tables for 45 years. I, 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 mean, I was like, this guy has got it going on. So I take a sip of my water. And I turn around and start talking. I'm eating my like, uh, garlic roll. And the next thing I know, he's pouring my water after I just took a sip. And I can't do it. Imagine this is me pouring the water. And he reaches behind his back at the table next to us and grabs the bill that they had just stuck their credit card in, pulls it around, puts in his apron, finished pouring the water, walks over, sticks the credit card in the machine. He's folding a napkin, comes back, grabs the card behind his other back. I'm making that part up, but it, I, that's how I imagined it. And then he slips it back into the other guy's hand and off he went and they were done. And I'm like, this guy is like unbelievable. I, I, this, is, this is me at a restaurant. Like I analyze everything that's going on. And that was like, oh, my wife's like, oh, yeah, we're just trying to have a date night, Russ. And you're sitting here talking about how the waiter just, you know, did the handoff and switched. He's so attentive. And I was like, oh, can we just talk about us? <laughs> Problem living with me. But that's the example here as a waiter one who serves food and drink, who's attending to somebody's needs. That's the solution for your desire. You should have this sort of desire inside of you. You see, our desires and our ambitions usually are not too big. They're usually too small. What do I mean by that? We talked about under desire having a successful business. We talked about that special somebody noticing you. So let's say that deal went through. And let's say that that special somebody went on a date with you. What next? You accomplished 
your ambitious goal of having a successful business, of taking that person out on a date, well, what's next? That's a pretty lame ambition. You know, it has, it has roots, but it kind of just ends there. Once your business is successful, it's successful. Yeah, what, what are you looking forward to next? Oh, how do I make my business more successful? Oh, how do I get that second date? Oh, how do I get that, you know, engagement ring on her finger? I mean, eventually, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. There's, there's no substance behind it. You see, any desire or ambition that does not take into account God and God's kingdom and God's family is too small. So if you have an ambition and it does not take into account the things of God, your ambition is too small. It's not too big. It's too small. You see, your desire in your ambition should never end with you. It can't end with you. If it ends with you, it's a terrible ambition. Why? Because you can solve something for you. But what does it produce? Does it produce anything in you? Oh, yeah, I accomplished that goal. I did that. But it doesn't actually do anything for you. You see, your desires should never end with you. We get so caught up in our own ambitions and our own desires that we become a solo act when ultimately God is trying to orchestrate an entire symphony. But we're stuck over here doing our own little thing and ruining everything, but God's trying to orchestrate an entire sympathy, and we're, we're, we're losing it. You see, it's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Look at this with me. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a gift, every single person has received a gift. You see, we've received a gift, and we should have a desire to be a servant. We should have a desire with that gift to operate in that gift. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard this expression that when a hunting dog sits in a kennel too long, the fleas begin to bother him. But when that hunting dog is out on the hunt, he never notices one flea. Now, it's kind of, for all of you dog lovers out there, you're like, oh, man, you can't kennel a hunting dog. The idea of a hunting dog is that they are supposed to hunt. They're treated differently. You're not, you're not cuddling with them in bed and petting them and doing, no. They, they have a job, and they have a goal, and that's what they do is hunt. Now, if they're sitting in the kennel too long, that means that they're not doing their job. They're not hunting. You're not taking them out to hunt. And so what happens? The fleas begin to bother them. Everything around them begins to bother them. But when they're doing their job, everything around them doesn't bother them. Why? Because they're doing what they were designed to do. They're meant to hunt. We are designed to serve. Each and every single one of you have been given a gift, and you are designed to serve. You see... You might say, yeah, I just don't have the time to serve. Um, I'm going through a lot right now, and, you know, I'll get there. You know, some of you might even say, you know what? I'm serving already, and I'm good. Some of you might say, ah, you know, I'm serving in excess, and I really need to calm down. Whatever it may be, I don't know which situation you're in, and I can't speak to anybody specifically. I only can speak to myself, and I know that I am not serving the most that God wants me to serve. I know there's more. Why? Because I tell Andrew, no, I do not want to teach every single time you ask me. Every single time. There's certain things that I just say, Andrew, no, I'm too busy, you know. The boat show was a really good excuse the last two weeks. Like, I can really good at making excuses, but if I ultimately look at myself, I know that there are certain gifts that I've been given that I just don't want to operate in. I just don't want to do. There's certain things I just don't want to serve. There's certain people I just don't want to serve. If I'm truly honest with myself, I'm, a, I'm not the best, like, if, I'm, if I really take a look at myself and you guys really get to know me, you're, oh, you know, he's, he's a pretty terrible guy. But we are all designed to serve. Every single one of us were given a gift. And we can squash that gift and decide not to operate it, or we can actually be the church and operate in the gift that we've been given. You see, he's not just going to give us the solution to our desire, which our desire's solution is to serve. We should have a desire to serve that diakonos. But he's also going to give us a solution to our attitude. It's verse... 27, and it reads, and whoever desires to be first among you, 
let him be a slave. The disciples' attitude quickly turned for the worse. So what's Jesus' solution to attitude? He says, take on the attitude of a slave. That's something that none of us want to hear. You see, the other ten disciples focused on James and John and Jesus' discussion. And as they focused on the discussion that was not of them, what was the result? A terrible attitude. It was anger. It was frustration slowly building up inside of them. You see, they desired to be the first among us. That was their desire. They wanted to be at the right hand and the left hand, every single one of them. You see, the solution is to become a slave. They needed to change their mindset of, oh, I wish I would have asked Jesus to be on his right hand or the left. I, I desire a promotion within the 12. That shouldn't have been their attitude. And when their expectations were not met, their attitude became worse. But really, the solution was, is if I look at myself as a slave, my attitude will not get to that point. So what do I mean by look at myself as a slave? You see, this word slave is doulos. And the, the word meaning means devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. You could care less about yourself because you are devoted to someone else. Everything that you want, it no longer matters. Because you're not worried about what you want, you're worried about what that other person wants. That's what it means to be a slave. The, your own wants don't matter. It's your master's wants. And so if you're constantly worried about your master's wants, you can't get upset if your wants don't get met because ultimately your wants don't matter. So the solution to this is, hey, listen, become a slave, which is completely different than anything that we've ever thought in this society. You see, our ambition is shaped and it's influenced by the culture that we live in by the culture that we partake in every single day. And what does this culture tell you? He says, be number one. You know, do it yourself. You deserve the best. Spa day. Um, what do I get out of this situation? That's how we're all trained to think as we think about ourselves. That's what the society tells us. But Jesus says, hey, really? You want to go up? You want that promotion? If you want to go up, you got to start down. You want to go up, go down. Take on the attitude of a slave. You see, for some of us, serving and taking on the attitude of a slave, it's like pulling teeth. Now, I'm not talking about the ones who can't serve. I'm talking about the ones that can, that won't. You see, it's like pulling teeth to get some people to serve. And I'm one of those people. To get, for me to get to, to, to go do anything, um, not even just, I'm not even talking about within this church. I'm talking about um, in my community. I, this is so bad. Now that I just thought, I said the word community. We were at an event yesterday, and we saw our neighbors that are across the street. And we've been living in our house for a year now. And we're like, the, I'm the unsociable neighbor. I'll wave. Hey, how you doing? tuck right into my house or pull my cell phone out and fake a phone call and then tuck into my house. And my wife's like, oh, those are our neighbors across the street. We should go introduce ourselves and talk to them and start, you know. And I was like, yeah, let's go check out the other tent on the other side of the room. And literally, that's what I said to her. We never talked to my neighbors, and now I'm feeling very convicted about it. And now you guys are seeing my conviction come upon me. Um, dang, I'm not a slave. <laughs> um, but maybe you are one of those people like me that it's hard to get to serve. Or maybe you're the complete opposite. Maybe you're the person that's serving too much. And there's a better way to serve. So maybe you're the one, you're the Hurricane Maria, going, going nuts, going nuts. But that's not really what God called you to do. You're just doing it because you want to do it for whatever reason it may be. Because it makes you feel good. You think that it makes God feel good. Or you're in it to seek to please men. Whatever it may be, you might be doing that wrong. Or maybe you are serving, but you're not serving to the extent that God wants you to serve. So you can fall in any one of these categories, in any one of these buckets. I'm, I have no idea where you're at. I know where I'm personally at. And I fall into different buckets depending on what area of life it is. Like, if you're going to affect this area of my life, I'm only going to give you a little bit. If you want to affect this area of my life, I don't mind giving you my all. But if you want to affect that area, no, stay away from that area of my life. You're not allowed to have that. We all have different things that we 
stick to. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And it says, And whatever you do, do it heartedly as to the Lord and not to men. Examine where your service is and make sure that it falls into the glorification of God and do it wholeheartedly to God, not for anybody else. Do it to God, not for anybody else. You see, your attitude of a slave is to devote yourself to God and others, not yourself. That's the solution that God says with your attitude. He says, listen, the attitude of a slave is to devote yourself to God and others, not to yourself. And as you serve, watch your attitude change. And as you partake in the service, watch the things change. You see, serving as a slave is going to be fulfilling to you. Think about every time you've ever given somebody a gift. What's the best part about giving somebody the gift? It's watching their face as they open it up. I mean, I, I love, my boys get so excited over absolutely nothing. Like yesterday we were at the event and they had uh, like these little like plastic cups. Um, and my wife's like, oh, keep the little plastic cups and the boys will love drinking out of them. And so we get back to the house and um, they're like looking at us like, what did you bring us? You both went out together and what did you get for us? And so I was like, Ben, we got you little plastic cups. He was, thank you, daddy. It's like a little plastic. I mean, you know, I'll like, I'll just like pull things out of my pocket sometimes. I'll pull like my, my diving ID card. Oh, Ben, look, it's me. Here you go. Like I'll do anything just to like, you know, it makes them feel so good that, that you're doing something for them. It makes them feel good. But you know how much joy that brings me? There's joy that's going to be fulfilled as you serve like this slave. You see, the third thing that Jesus tells us that we need a solution to was position. It's verse 28, and it reads, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, it's position. You want the cure to your position? It's taking the position of being like Christ. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. The solution to position is taking the position of being like Christ. You see, don't lord over anyone and be served. But serve, he served and gave his life as a ransom for many. Do not lord over anyone and be served. One of the rituals that my older son does every single morning is when he comes out of his bed, he goes to the bathroom, he, you know, you hear the toilet flush, and then immediately takes the turn in the hallway, and he's walking with his, he's got his puppy. It's like a little, like, like I don't know, it's like a, it looks like a blanket square with like a puppy head on it and like little arms sewed on it, and he's like, you know, swinging it. He goes, and we have like a big L couch that like, he jumps up into the L part of the couch and like his feet are like 10 feet from even touching the floor. Like he's less like relaxed. And this is what he says to me. Not like, sometimes he says, good morning, daddy, as he's walking to his spot on the couch. But it's, get me chocolate leche and turn the TV on. <laughs> Literally, it's like, it's like a ritual. Every single morning, he's like slowly walking with this puppy. Daddy, get me chocolate leche and turn the TV on. Jurassic World kids. I'm like, what? Like, who are you? He's the boss. You know, not the Lord over anybody. He's expecting to be served. Every kid expects to be served. Imagine if I told, hey, Ben, you know what? This week, uh, my mortgage came in, and uh, you know what? I need a little extra. You're responsible for five bucks. <laughs> He'd laugh at me. He expects to be served. Well, I'm telling you that you need to expect to serve. Never expect to be served. Always expect to serve. That's how you cure this position. You see, real service is done for the benefit of those that are served, not for the benefit of the server. Real service is done for the benefit of those being served, not for the benefit of the server. Jesus gave his life 
in place of guilty sinners and offered himself as the substitute. He wasn't doing that for himself. He was doing it for us. Position? Take the position of being like Christ. You see, Jesus giving his life was the complete expression of service. He gave us the perfect picture of what ambitious service is. He gave everything, even his life. You see, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. I think this is like the best expression of what this is. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The perfect example of what loving, ambitious service truly is. You see, Jesus giving his life as a complete expression of service. He humbled himself. He was God, and he put on flesh. Number one, that's a huge humbling. And then he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the type of service that is required for us to have eternal life. It's absolutely amazing that one so loved us so much that they would take their ambition to do away with everything that is of themselves so that we might receive something so beautiful. You see, the second that you wake up in the morning, your mind starts receiving messages. For some, it's like, hey, I'm not ready. It's the snooze. That's the first message that you give your body. Some, it's, uh, you know, your phone starts ringing. Um, I have like this addiction. As soon as I wake up, I scroll through my emails um, that came in through the night. And it's like, well, what, how important does an email, um, if it came in at 3 o'clock in the morning, how important? It's not important, but that's where my mind automatically goes and it starts going because of technology. Some of you, it might be media. The first thing you do in the morning is make your coffee and you go watch the news or you read uh, the newspaper. For some of you, it might be you flicking on music. For some of you, it might be texting a friend. For some of you, you start your day off with messages from the colleagues. But you see, we have an option and a choice of what our mindset should look like and what type of position we should take when we first wake up, when we first decide that I'm going to get my day starting. It's the mindset of Christ. Every single day, we have to put on that mindset of Christ. We have to take the same position of Christ that I am going to give everything for someone else. You see, it's the position of taking on humility. And it's the position of doing the will of God. Because that's ultimately what this says. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the worst type of death known to man at that time. He did. Why? Because it was the will of the Father. Remember when he's in the garden? He's sweating blood. And he says, God, if you can take this cup from me, do it. But ultimately, your will be done. He did all this as the will of his father. You see, we're constantly looking to Jesus to give us the position that we should be taking. You see, we should be looking at all of our time and our energy, and we need to be looking at meeting specific needs and encouraging other people in the community, whether it be in the community of the church people or whether it be in the community of the world. God positioned himself as an example that we may follow. Amen? The worship team's going to come out and... What I'm going to ask of you guys is just to take a look at the type of service, this ambitious service that we have, where we have a desire, and the desire isn't necessarily bad. It can be good as long as we let God conform it. And we, we can have an attitude, but it is our attitude the correct attitude that God wants us to. 
and ultimately is in not just the attitude, are we looking at the position and saying, you know what, this is the position that I need to take. Because when we look at Christ as the example, as one that came to earth for you and I, because the bad news is, is that every single one of us are guilty and did not deserve him to come to earth. He came. He lived a perfect life without sin so that he might be the perfect lamb as a ransom to trade spots with us so that we would not have to go through what he had to go through so that we would get heaven. That's what he got. So does our ambitious service look like the ambitious service that Christ laid out as an example? Do we constantly remind ourselves of this gospel message of Christ and what he did for us? Is that something that you remind yourself of? It's something that I don't do as much as I should. But he sets the example of what ambitious service is, and every single one of us has been given some sort of gift, and we need to use it. We need to serve. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.